0: The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for a political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web. With a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now.
1: Welcome to another episode of Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Sam Stone. My co-host, Chuck Warren, is out and traveling today. But some big news in the country, and we are very excited to have Congressman Neil Dunn of Florida's Second Congressional District. Uh, Congressman Dunn grew up in an army family, was stationed in over 20 different locations, uh, including in Vietnam during middle school. He was an Eagle Scout National Merit Scholar. Uh, Then went to Washington and Lee University, went to medical school at George Washington, joined the U.S. Army as a surgeon, completed his residency at Walter Reed Medical Center. Folks, I'm going on and on and on because this is the kind of resume, frankly, we need a lot more of in Congress, people who have real accomplishments. You're too fine. Well, you know know what, uh, Congressman, I mean, how many people in Congress right now have an actual medical background? Well, there are 17 doctors. Honestly, okay, I'm actually shocked. That's more than I thought. Yeah. And there were only nine when I got here, but uh, we have been adding. So good. Well, see, I mean, frankly, I think that's pretty valuable given how much of the it medical is. industry comes under the purview of Congress these days. It's very important. So before we get into more of that, and I, and I do want to talk a little bit about your background, but obviously the the big conversation that's uh, lighting up the country right now is the agreement over the debt ceiling yes uh speaker mccarthy put together an agreement and and despite the best efforts of the national press to pretend that never happened uh negotiations did conclude very recently an agreement was signed now you did vote for it i did and as chuck and i have said here many times we would also and and tell folks why
2: well, so this, you know, is certainly one of those tough calls that we face in congress. it's it's why the job can be difficult. Uh, you know, uh, this this first off, we should say this bill really does cut the spending. So, President Biden had come forth with a budget, and uh, we went after that budget to say we, we got This is way too much. It's it's the kind of budget that caused the inflation that we're suffering with, and so we managed. Uh, I say we, you know, and actually uh, the credit should go to uh, uh, Speaker McCarthy and and the negotiation team led by Garrett Graves, and uh, they just did a brilliant job getting the uh, getting the, that number down by four point eight trillion with a t trillion dollars over the uh, the 10-year window and uh so that that's a big save there's never been a cut on the president's budget anything like that
1: big in history a, a trillion so, here a trillion there pretty soon you're talking real money
2: yeah it's right and you know we used to say a million and a million here <laughs> but now it's trillions you're right it's it's it is an issue of money now let's let's don't kid ourselves this is just a first step because the debt is still going to glide somewhat higher over the next 10 years. There's going to be increased uh still we're still going to be borrowing money we're still going to be facing uh uh you know the situation where we're spending more than we're bringing in and we have to go after that too but we really got some good wins on this bill one of the things that should appeal to everybody was we we uh, kept the IRS from uh, getting any more new agents this year or next and then of course we'll have to fight that in the 20 uh in the 25 uh Appropriations process again, but bearing in mind we only control one house, the you know House and, and Senate
1: control one house. Yeah,
2: very and with a narrow majority. This is really a remarkable uh, bill given the uh, the sort of weak hand that we had to play, and uh, so I was actually uh, you know you, you, you could always wish for more. My God, yes, you could wish for more. Uh, but uh, we did manage to protect the the defense bu- budget entirely, so we plussed it up from the president, and uh, and we get we, this is no time to cut on the military. We've got too many threats around the world right now, and we also kept the veterans intact. But everybody else took a little bath.
1: Well, as they had to. I mean, the run up in spending in the last few years has been extraordinary. It has. Uh, the, this is you know the first step in starting to rein that back in. It. How important was it not to default? Because I think a lot of people out there were expecting. A, you know, there's some folks in the Republican Party saying they expected more. They wanted a more. You know, more drastic. Yeah, this gets really
2: irresponsible to default uh, to, on on debt. Let, let me let me see if I can underline that in some way. The the importance of a strong dollar, the fact that the global economy is dollarized, uh, is as important as having a strong military. It's that important. So a strong U.S. dollar is fundamental to the national security and, frankly, to the stability
1: of the wor- world system. And uh, so, well, they- and, and from what I understand, and, and different economists have slightly different takes, but if the U.S. were to lose our status, which is, is clearly there are countries trying to take it away as the, right. US, as the world reserve currency, that would be something like an instant 15% tax increase on every single American. That's right. And 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 you would be far less safe as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you you have an interesting background. We got into it a little bit earlier. You, you know, obviously, amazing background with the military, uh, surgical fellowship at Duke University. Um, but you also have a background in banking and in finance. Yeah, I
2: do. I so you know what happened is I got out of the military, I'd always been getting a paycheck all my life. And I'm in private practice and all of a sudden running a private practice and I didn't really know how to run a business at all. So I approached it like another school course. Okay, we got to study this thing and figure out how how businesses work and and how to report and how to account for the money. And and I had a great deal of help, frankly, in my, I moved into a town. I live in Panama City, Florida. And my patients, I'm in mean, a surgical specialty that tends to have these older guys as patients, and so they were a lot of businessmen, and they they you know, mentored me all the way through this. And, I, and among my mentors was a banker, and uh, he, uh, he he graciously spent some years taught me, teaching me about uh, banking, and and eventually I got the bug bit, and we started a bank of our own. So uh, uh, and it did very well. I was very pleased with it. We kept it for about a dozen years.
1: Well, and that's an amazing story too, because it, you know not only do you have the experience in the medical industry, but also the financial industry. So when you go to Congress, you're coming in with a great deal to contribute right off the top, based on those experiences, right? Yes, and I think by the way, the business
2: and the banking experience was very helpful. When we come up here and we start throwing around numbers like trillions of dollars, you know that's a scary number to throw at a banker. You know, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. people start talking about defaulting on that, and you go, "Boy, put the gun
1: down and back away. This is dangerous stuff you're talking <laughs> about." Oh, ab- absolutely. No, I, I, I'm laughing and joking about this a little bit, but this is really deadly serious stuff. It is. It's and deadly and- serious and the the consequences of the the default would have been so dramatic that i i want to say thank you to you and your colleagues who had the courage to see this process through well thank um, you
2: and i tell you what i hope that we're, we'll get back together in a year and we find out that we've also fought the fought the uh, the people who want to spend all this money to have stand still yet again on the appropriations next year, too. So that's yeah.
1: actually one of the things I was about to get to, and I'm glad you went there uh, first, is this isn't the hill to die on. The, the The full faith and credit of the United States is not the hill to go out there and die on and say that's we're, right. we're going to hold our ground no matter what.
2: Yeah, this is not the place to throw a hissy fit. I mean, we, we absolutely yeah. have to uh, you know, meet our debts. This is why the world depends on the United States. If we default on our, our debt, you know, all of a sudden we become a lot less uh, important
1: to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. But there is a place to do that, to have that fight, right? And that's going to come up in the future here in the next couple of years with the uh, various budget processes.
2: There's a lot of places to have that fight. One of them would be in November at the ballot box, Uh <laughs> But you know, if you really feel strongly about the debt, then don't elect a bunch of people and don't nominate a bunch of people who can't get elected uh, to uh, to office that are that are going to be ir- irresponsible with the uh, with the dollar. No, this stuff really matters to our children and our grandchildren. I have grandchildren, so I tend to have a longer horizon. <laughs> but, but you know, it's important
1: that we don't uh, we don't uh, hurt them. Yeah, you, you can. You can make mistakes now that will take away so much of the opportunities in their future. That's right. And, yeah, and there's
2: another side to this, and I get this too, when people say they, you know, well, we're we're swimming in debt. We are. Right now, the every man, woman, and child in America has about four million dollars in federal debt.
1: Four million dollars. I, I, I don't have four million dollars to give you, Congressman. Well, I was gonna ask you for that later <laughs> in the show. <laughs> But well, I I don't know, maybe the ratings from this show will go through the roof and, you know, next year you'll be able to collect. I don't know. <laughs> but, well, you know, but in the meantime, uh, one of the you made a great point there. I thought about not nominating people who can't get elected. Um, I, I always love the Reagan maxim. I want to nominate the most conservative person I can get elected. Right. That's. Yes. That was, you know, that was really pretty simple truth uh, that he that he used to say. He had a lot of
2: quick little aphorisms like that that really cut right down on the bottom line.
1: He he was so good at that, and so good at at narrowing things down for the public in a way that they could understand and it, okay. taking complex issues and making them accessible. Uh, I, I think great communicator. <laughs> yeah, we we miss that too often. Um, so we only have about two minutes left in this segment. We're going to be coming back here with more from Congressman Neal Dunn of Florida's Second Congressional District shortly. Um, want to talk a, bl- a little bit too about your uh, BayCare's Medical Charity head- uh, there in Panama City? Uh, I think cute. I think a lot of times people don't um, people think of Congress members of Congress only in that one role. Yeah, and, I think you're the, right. They
2: do think oh, he's a congressman, what did he do in real life?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think too often that's the case and and you've done a ton in real life, so I want to touch a, a little bit more about that. Also, when we come back here, uh and we're we're going to have a little bit of dis- discussion on what you know, what we're going to be doing, what you're going to be doing in Congress going forward the next few months. I want to, you know, what should the American people be watching out for? Okay. I'm um so When Breaking Battlegrounds comes back in just a moment, we'll hit on more of that. Folks, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to download our podcast. Go to BreakingBattlegrounds.Vote. You can get all of our past episodes there. We are on Substack, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Breaking Battlegrounds is there. We will be back with more from Congressman Dunn in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Sam Stone. Chuck Warren out of studio today. On the line with us, Congressman Neil Dunn of Florida's 2nd Congressional District. We've been talking about the debt ceiling. Uh, We've been talking about some of his background, which is just amazing. But right now, I want to talk about what is coming up in Congress. What are the next issues that are going to be on your plate there? Well,
2: so we do tend to Give everybody sort of subspecialized, and I, I sit on uh, the Energy and Commerce Committee, which is also home to the big healthcare uh, committee. So we do healthcare policy, uh, but we also do energy and uh, and. Uh, the foreign and domestic trade policy. So you, you, I don't have to tell you that energy has been a big, big subject uh, lately. We want to re- reestablish energy independence. Uh, we know how to do this. We did it very nicely in the last administration. Uh, and uh, we, we did in that same debt ceiling bill, we included a whole bunch of streamlining for energy projects. In fact, for all large building projects. So we took that environmental uh, permitting process and capped it at two years and actually made the uh, the regulatory agencies liable to be sued if they don't make those environmental statements and rulings within two years. And I, I offer as an example, the Atlanta uh, airport, where they just added a runway uh, after nine years working on it. And the first seven of those nine years were just permitting didn't move a a shovel full of earth and then they built it in two years so we need to get that permitting process down a lot it takes about 20 years to permit a mine for anything you want to mine in this country and and that's that's just an impossible obstacle to overcome in 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 any kind of affordable way
1: yeah well, well we our broadcast studio as I think most people know is in Arizona Uh, There has been a project here called the Rosemont Mine. I think that the names have changed on it a few dozen times now. Um, I know personally, because I've been dealing with it, that process has gone on close to 20 years now. It could be one of the largest copper mines in the world. Copper is desperately needed for all of these electric vehicles, for the phones, for the computers. And in the opposition to it, this, this baffles me, Congressman. The opposition to it, we're told by the environmental movement, and I right. agree with them in this: that we have one planet. That this the, is one. The same
2: planet. people who want everything to go electric will prevent you from mining or refining any of the things you need to make electricity and batteries and all this stuff. It's really, it's, it's almost
1: childishly foolish. Well, I, I think it's worse than that, Congressman, because not only do they do all that here, but then they turn a blind eye to China, to well, all I'm these. Glad
2: you said that. Because All these China, countries
1: around the world that do this with the worst environmental controls imaginable.
2: Unbelievably bad. You're right. They have no environmental controls, whatever. China is another subject we're going to be spending a lot of time on. I sit on the China Select Committee. And uh, so this is a select committee that looking at China as a uh, as an adversary in terms of competing in, in everything, including militarily speaking. And uh, we're peeling back the layers of, of, uh, of how deep China is embedded into our economy and our lives. And let me tell you, it's awful. It's just awful. They have, they have really stolen a lot of marches on us. They're making headway in South America. They're making headway across the Pacific, in Asia, in Africa. And, uh, and everybody is, is very dependent on their production.
1: Well, one of the one of our very recent guests was uh, former Afghan Special Forces General Sami Sadat, um, who detailed how much China has moved into Afghanistan, yes. taking over the mining and the industry there. As soon as we stepped out,
2: that there, um, it turns out that Afghanistan has a lot of rich mining uh, minerals uh, in it, and the Chinese aren't hesitant to go after it. Uh, they're
1: also running Bagram Air Base, the one we we abandoned there that one night. No, oh, it's, it's every time I hear you more about what we did in Afghanistan on our way out the door, the more embarrassing that whole episode becomes. I mean, we really put ourselves in a difficult position internationally with that move.
2: I can't say enough bad about that. I was on active duty when Saigon fell. And um, and I have to tell you, I thought that was the most humiliating moment of my life uh, for the military, for our country. And I, I didn't think it would ever happen again. In Afghanistan, it actually was worse. I couldn't believe I was stunned. And of course, the really bad news here is Russia saw that. Putin saw that. And he said, oh, I know what they'll do if I invade Ukraine. Nothing. And mm-hmm. so he, he, was, he began massing troops on the border of Ukraine while we were still evacuating people out of that humiliating mess. And of course, China's Xi looked at it, saw the same thing. He said, ah. Taiwan is next. Honestly, I think if Putin had managed to roll up Ukraine the way he thought he was going to, Xi would have been in Taiwan the next week. So if you put it that way, you realize the Ukrainians are not just defending Eastern Europe. They're defending Taiwan. The whole Indo pack. Well, and, and
1: and the rest of their region, right? All those Baltic absolutely. states are, are at enormous risk. And Russia has said, Putin has said they want to recreate the Iron Curtain. They want to now rebuild this, the Soviet Empire.
2: They absolutely do. And you know, this people think this is just like a one-off aggression. This is the ninth invasion Putin has stated started. Ninth. So this is just one in a long string. You know, are you going to fight this war in Ukraine or are you going to fight with Americans in Poland,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and and Poland certainly all you know, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, all of Lithuania those Lithuania is probably even before Poland. Yeah, and, and those states are are fantastic growing economies that are contributing to the wonderful. World. And yeah, and and hugely democratic, hugely capitalist, We're and they're article the five gun. nations in NATO which means we are we are tied to them. Absolutely. We have just about two minutes before we have to go here, but I did want to touch uh, on something else you've done, which is Bay Cares, a medical charity ha- headquartered in Panama City. Um, tell us what, what you've done there, because that's a really amazing story.
2: You know, I was really gratified to do that. So, Florida has a system what we call it's the We Care system, where uh, if doctors, or hospitals, clinics, labs, whatever, will donate free medical care, they get sovereign immunity from the state, so they can't be sued, no liability. And uh, and so, doc, you would find that medical personnel are very much more willing to to deliver care for free if it's accompanied by sovereign immunity and so i was able to recruit even in my relatively small uh area we had nine counties we were serving but so it was probably a total population of 400,000, not, not a giant city. We were able to get $30 million a year in free, utterly free medical care. Just people willing to donate doctors, uh, you know, hospitals, and, uh, and clinics of all type, diagnostic centers, pharmacies, $30 million a year in that little town. That, that's a
1: huge amount of quality medical care that your residents are getting for free because of this. Program. I ran it for
2: a number of years, but it's, I, I had to give it up when I came to Congress, and it's still in good hands back in Panama City. So, if anybody in Panama City or anywhere around Panama City is watching this, you can you can donate uh, your services to BayCare's.
1: Fantastic, Congressman. Before we wrap up here, how do folks follow you and your work and stay in touch with everything oh. you're doing?
2: Thank you so much for letting me share that. So on Twitter, it's at Dr. Neil Dunn, FL2, and I spell Neil, N E A L, uh, Dr. Neil Dunn, Florida 2. And on Facebook, it's Congressman Neil Dunn,
1: MD. Perfect. Thank you so much, Congressman. We really appreciate having you on the program. We'll look forward to having you back on again in the future.
2: Thanks so much. I hope we have as much
1: good news next time. Cross your fingers. <laughs> Folks, are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? If you are, go to investwirefi.com. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's investyrefi.com or call them at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you.
2: At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true.
1: Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Chuck, next up on the line with us right now, Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart, fulfilling his 11th term in the U.S. House of Representatives, serving Florida's 26th Congressional District. He is uh, a a senior member of the House Committee on Appropriations, chairman of the State Foreign Operations and Related Programs Subcommittee, and also serves on some other key committees, transportation, housing, and urban development and defense. So, Congressman, you are you are covering the spectrum on policy there in Washington right now. That's actually pretty darn impressive.
3: Look, I'm a blessed person to be able to be in a situation, in a position to be able to fight for things that I think are important for our country. And obviously, uh, whether it's defense, whether it's foreign policy, whether it's infrastructure, those are issues that I spend a lot of my time on. Uh, but as well as, you know, I I I was uh, the main sponsor of the uh, of the uh, you know, border security bill. Um, So there are a lot of things that I've been able to because of uh, first the the folks who sent me to D.C. And then uh, the confidence uh, in my colleagues, I've been able to to get involved in a lot of different issues. You're absolutely right.
0: So you are a sponsor of H.R. Two. Yeah. And it has. So we tell us a little bit about the the details regarding border security on that. And then take some time to tell us how does this help people bring in with work visas? Uh, One thing I think. People misrepresent Republicans about is we still allow about 1.2 million people to come in the country legally every year. I mean that's that's not a minor number, and, right? And
1: I've never met a Republican who wasn't willing to have a conversation right. about legal immigration.
0: Well, and I've never met a Republican who says cut that number, right? So first of all, tell us about the border security details of H- HR HR two, please, and then let's discuss the other items.
3: Yeah, look, HR two first. You know, we before the elections. Um, Uh, Kevin McCarthy, again, he wasn't speaker. He put together the Republicans and said, let's come up with a commitment to America. What is our agenda going to be? One of those was securing the border. Uh, And, you know, I was fortunate to be one of the people that helped draft that component of it. We won by a very slim margin, but we won the majority in the House, only in the House, unfortunately. And then we wanted to make sure that we deliver on the commitment, on the promise that we made to the American people. Uh, So H.R. 1 dealt with energy, energy independence. H.R. 2 is border security. So there were a lot of Republican bills filed out there to deal with the bleeding that we are experiencing on the southern border. And I say bleeding. This administration has literally given the control, has totally just who decides now who comes across the southern border to the United States are the drug cartels. And not to mm-hmm. mention the fact and all that's coming across the southern border, the, the terrorists that we know are coming across the southern border, and then by the way, a lot of victims that are being used by the cartels can, uh, and are being brought across. Can, can I
1: stop and ask ask for yeah. for some clarification? I, I'm certainly not asking you to throw your colleagues under the bus, but do a lot of the Democrats who have kind of resisted this border security? Do they understand how much the control has been ceded to the cartels and that and what you just said that you do not cross that border? without the permission of the cartels at this point?
3: Well, but but I'll answer your question. But to your point, if anybody thinks that an individual can come from a country and, you know, somehow get to the southern border and walk across, that's not possible. The cartels will kill you. The this is a monopoly controlled by these narco terrorist cartels. Different cartels have different part of the southern border. That's who determines who comes across. Uh, 100%. And so, uh, and do my democratic colleagues understand that some do. Um, you know, you have folks like Henry Cuellar, who, who has been one of the most outspoken people and telling the administration, this has to stop, we have a problem here. Um, but it seems that many are just okay with that. Are content. And the administration seems to be okay with that. The Secretary of Homeland Security continues to say that the southern border is secure, which is insanity because he wants us to believe him and not our very own eyes.
0: So we've about 90 seconds to break, Congressman. Why do you think they feel that way, that it's just okay? I mean, there has to be a reason. You've talked to them enough. Is there? Have you ever heard a good justification or reasoning why they think this is just okay?
3: No, I haven't. I haven't heard any good explanation from the administration or anybody else as to why this is okay. Why handing over to the cartels, the southern border is okay. Why 300 Americans dying every single day because of, 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 of a product that's coming across the southern border is okay. While, you know, why hundreds of 900 migrants dying just last year is humane. There is no good explanation. That's why I'm so proud of HR2 and the colleagues, the, the Republican colleagues that put this together.
1: Fantastic, Congressman. When we come back, we're going to have more from Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart of uh, Florida. Congressman, before we we go there, I want to give folks your Twitter handle because I think it's very important they stay up with the work you're doing. Folks, you can follow him at at MarioDB on Twitter there. Great opportunity to stay in touch with his work. Uh, Breaking Battlegrounds is going to be coming back with more from the congressman in just a moment we want to get into some of the specific provisions that are in this bill Um, but also we want to touch on some of the other work you're doing including the Parents Bill of Rights and the recent trip you made to the Dominican Republic all that and more when Breaking Battlegrounds comes back Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Folks, are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you can invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? You can make up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. And when you invest with Y-Refi, you're actually helping people get their, their private student loans paid off sooner, helping them restore their credit, and you make a fantastic return on your money. This is the this is the definition of capitalism, folks. This is people helping people. So give them a call today at 888-Y-REFI-24 or go online at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, and let them know Chuck and Sam sent you. Okay, coming back with more from Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart. When we went to break, we were talking about the Immigration Bill, H.R. 2. Uh, Congressman, what are some of the specific provisions in there, both relating to border security and to legal immigration, that, that people should be aware of?
3: Well, look, first it secures the border. It finishes the construction of the wall. It, it provides more personnel and increases the salary of those heroes who are struggling to protect our border. Um, so again, a lot of common sense, uh, border security, things like that. But to your point, um, one of the things that uh, should also be upsetting, uh, and, you know, you wonder why, to so your question before we, we broke, right? What do the Democrats say about this? Nothing good. But but if the, the others who are suffering, it's not only our national security interests, it's not only the rule of law, it's also those who are actually, who potentially have legitimate asylum claims, because they can't right. get their, their legitimate claims heard. So, among the things that this bill also does, is it, it frankly, modernizes it, uh, streamlines the actual real process for those who have legitimate asylum claims, so that they can have their claims actually adjudicated, and it also even has a a, a a a particular area there for folks who come, for example, from this hemisphere, from Venezuela or Cuba or Nicaragua, that you would think have the likeliest chance of having legitimate claims. Well, they can't get their claims heard because of the disaster created by the Biden administration. So this deals with that as well. It's not only border security, that's the main issue. It's to secure the border, but it also makes the legal system a little bit better. Does it solve every problem? No, it secures the border, it stops this horrific situation that is inhumane, that is a threat to our national security, and also provides uh, some avenues for those who have legitimate claims, for example, legitimate asylum claims.
0: We're the Congressman Mario Diaz-Ballart. If you're in the Miami area, you can catch this interview on News Radio 610 AM. So you live in Miami-Dade, and it's a a county Sam and I have been to many times. It's full of immigrants. What do they think, your Venezuelan, your Colombians, your Cubans, what do they think about the border crisis? What do your constituents tell you about this?
3: You know, they understand that one of the reasons that one of the reasons that immigrants have always come to this country I don't care if you get you came here you know five generations ago or if you're coming now it's because of the rule of law the rule of law is what makes everything else possible and that you have to adhere to the rule of law and so uh, immigrants who are in this country and I represent a heck of a lot of of, of you know uh, Americans who are again first generations or or, or foreign-born Americans, they understand that you have to adhere to the rule of law. That is the reason that everybody wants to come to the United States. That's the reason this is the country of opportunity. It's the rule of law. It's the free market system, but you can't have a free market system or you can't have anything. You can't have security without adhering to the rule of law. And that's why, again, this bill is very strong on that, adhering, bringing back the rule of law to the southern border and to those communities in the southern border uh, that are struggling because of the policies of the Biden administration.
1: Congressman, here in Arizona, I've found in talking to first-generation immigrants and a lot of people in the, you know, obviously predominantly Mexican-American community here, they have a much better understanding Mm -hmm. than a lot of folks out there of how the cartels you know, really abuse the people that are coming across the predations that they inflict upon them. Uh, do you do you get that? And, you know, I, I my experience in Florida is you get that plus people who have maybe a little bit better understanding of communism than, than we often do here. Does the Republican Party need to do a better job of emphasizing those voices?
3: I mean, I think we can always do better. I, I know that in Florida, by the way, and, and you know, look at look at the election and the re-election of Governor Ron DeSantis, right? Remember, Ron DeSantis got a group of immigrants uh, who got here across the southern border and he sent them to a sanctuary community that uh publicly expressed that they are a sanctuary place and that they have they want, you know, folks, even if they're here un, unlawfully, to to go to Martha's Vineyard. So this governor uh, sent people over, not to be punitive, but to actually say, look, if you've got opportunities for them, you want them there, here we go. And then what happened? That immediately, uh, Martha's Vineyard, by the way, put them on buses and they put them in a military base. So <laughs> they're the Sanctuary Committee, they are uh, in New York is another sanctuary, uh, right, city? Uh, they're sanctuary cities until anybody shows up, and then they immediately want them out of, of, yeah, of the
1: city. Of- they're fine sticking them on border towns in Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, all the way into Florida. They just don't want them in their community no matter what they Talk say. Talk is cheap. Yeah, look,
3: it's it's like socialists. Socialists are socialists for everybody else, not for me, right? And right. and you, know, you want everybody to drive bicycles, but I want to be able to have my car. Uh, right. That's socialism 101. They, they, that's,
1: they, they all envision themselves like the, the Soviet leadership driving down their exclusive lane on the middle of, of Nevsky Prospect.
3: Correct. That's exactly right. Socialism is, is socialism is really good for everybody else, but not for them, right? And and you know, government control is they want to be able to impose their views on everybody else, but don't not on them, right? And and which is why, again, look, this country is based on individual freedom, on the rule of law, on opportunity, and the reason this country has been and continues to be the wealthiest, the most generous, the greatest country in the history of humanity is because of individual freedoms and opportunity and the rule of law. And, uh, you know, you mentioned folks who have come here by choice. They get that. They understand that. And one sympathizes with these victims, by the way, that the cartels are using and abusing. Um, but the reality is that you have to adhere to the law and the mm-hmm. rule of law. Otherwise, nothing else is possible.
0: We're with Congressman Mario Diaz Ballart, he's um, in Miami-Dade County. Um, you can catch him on Twitter at Mario DB. Um, all right, we're going to give you the softball question. You're introducing a new bill here in two weeks. Tell our audience a little bit about it.
3: Yeah, well, I chair the subcommittee. I'm my privilege that uh, my colleagues uh, have put me to chair the subcommittee that uh, the House subcommittee of Appropriations subcommittee that funds everything have to do with foreign policy. That includes, by the way, funding for the UN. That includes funding for our allies like Israel. That includes funding for the State Department and so much more. And so couple things. Number one is we're going to be spending a heck of a lot less money than the Democrats have been spending because they've been wasting money and we're going to be responsible. So we're going to be spending a hell of a lot less money, number one. Number two is, to me, it's very simple. If you're an ally of the United States and if you're helping our national security interests, I think this bill will recognize that in a positive way. But if you're in cahoots with our enemies, if you are targeting our allies this bill is also going to recognize that in a way that they're not going to like. Foreign policy has to be dictated on one thing and one thing alone, the national security interests of the United States. After that, you have a lot of things that are important, human rights, et cetera. But it's all based on one thing, the national security interests of the United States. So we're going back to some pretty basic things that the Democrats have totally forgotten about. Democrats love to you know, fund things that have nothing to do with our national security interests. We're cutting all that. They like to fund folks and entities that are frankly not helping us are not on our side. I'm not willing to look the other way. I'm not willing to look the other way. If if, if you have international organizations that are targeting Israel or that are uh, targeting the United States, I'm not willing to look the other way. It's going to be a, there's going to be all sorts of criticism. When I drop that bill, when I file that bill, but I will tell you, I'm very proud because it's, we're going back to basics. If you're pro-American, uh, then we're going to be trying to help you. And if you're in cahoots with our adversaries, uh, you're going to suffer the consequences in my
1: bill. I, I love that Congressman Chuck because, frankly, what other country on earth does their government not work to protect their own people? We we there's a, there's this push on the right. left that seems like right. our job as in our government is to protect everybody but Americans. So right. you are the dean of the Florida delegation. You've been around
0: the now block I, a couple times.
3: Now yeah? you're calling me old. Yeah, right? I Just
0: am. I am I'm, I'm calling it. I'm old, Samuel. Where <laughs> all those old people are? To, old guys rule. Okay. My question <laughs> is. What keeps you up at night? I mean, what is the one thing that, you know, because you see very sensitive documents that we don't have access to. What keeps you up that you fret about? I mean, you obviously, you know, a lot of things seem to work themselves out. Uh, I always feel America will end up doing the right thing long term. But what keeps you up at night? Like, holy camole, this is bad.
3: Yeah, you know, I've never, I've, I don't know if I've been asked that question, but I think I can answer it relatively simply. Number one is obviously our fiscal situation, our debt and that we waste so much money on things that we shouldn't be doing. Uh, And then uh, then the other thing that keeps me uh, up is China, which is the existential threat. And they're both tied together. We waste money on things that frankly do nothing or actually do us harm. And then we don't spend enough resources, enough money on frankly confronting the existential threat today, Tomorrow and for the decades in the future. And that's China. We have to have the strongest defense. We're not doing enough there. Um, And we have to have a strong economy, which means we we have to stop misspending money.
1: That is one thing, Chuck, I I was a little dismayed about in in this budget that, you know, is being discussed in the debt ceiling deal is a reduction again in the number of naval vessels that are under the U.S. flag
0: i mean we should be at 350 that's that's right. what
1: our strategy is 350 ships and we're at what
0: 280.
1: yeah two, Yeah,
3: two. and china is building them uh you know like but by, by the time we finish this podcast they probably have built already another ship right um so china is is a real danger look we we have to confront. We have this issue of our debt, and, and that's because we are misspending so much money and we need to be much better stewards of the people's money. And, and, and obviously the Democrats have been on the spending spree. Uh, but it's not only the Democrats in the past. Let's be very clear. We have to do a better job. But on the other hand, we cannot deal with defense as a number. Ronald Reagan used to, to paraphrase him. He used to say defense is not a budgetary issue. Um, we have to avoid war at all costs. The way to do that is to have the toughest, the strongest uh, military in the entire planet. China is a real threat. So can we spend more on defense while uh, still dealing with our debt? Yes, we can. Because defense is still uh, something that we have to do. We have to, by the way, reform the programs that are causing the debt. A lot of that, for example, Social Security and Medicare. We have to defend and protect those, but we also have to reform them reform them to make sure that we have those for future generations. So we can do both things, spend more and spend more wisely on defense to confront China while we deal with the other big threat, which is our escalating national debt.
0: Congressman, do you feel there's a danger within the Republican Party of this strident isolationist wing? That they just seem to want to ignore the world and don't realize when we ignore it, the world's in trouble, which means we're in trouble.
3: Well, look, I you know, I don't want to be critical of, of I, I I try to adhere to the again, once again, talking about Ronald Reagan. Right. Uh, he talked about the 11th commandment. Right. Which is not to ever say negative things about other Republicans. And so I won't do that. And I wish all Republicans had that same attitude because there's a lot of things that we need to talk about that the Democrats are doing wrong and, and they're helping to destroy this country. Right. So but. But I will tell you that we have to treat defense not as a number. We have to look at defense as what do we need? To confront China, whatever it costs. Then we have to deal with everything else because if we do not get defense right, nothing else will matter. Uh, and the way to avoid war is to, which is really obviously the number one goal. Number one goal is to have the toughest, the strongest, the most agile, uh, the most lethal defense in the planet so that china and others do not dare confront the united states are we there now no we are not we can do better but we also have to deal with the debt those are not mutually exclusive if we're smart about how we spend our money
1: yeah absolutely great point before we go congressman we have just about one minute left here on the program and we we thank you very much for joining us we look forward to having you on again uh, folks if you want to follow him on twitter it's at mario db uh, fantastic opportunity to stay up with one of the folks who's helping lead our foreign policy engagement in, in a really smart and intelligent way. So, Congressman, thank you so much for joining us here. I'm going to throw kind of a, a softball at you. Um, how much do we need to focus on stripping back the the barriers that are preventing us from building things the way we did 50 years ago in this country?
3: Oh, it's nuts. It's nuts. And and most of that is government regulation. Um, You know, we went from being energy independent, which was a dream. We actually became energy independent just two years ago to now, in essence, uh, depending mostly on Chinese goods, Chinese uh, solar panels. It's insanity. These are government created problems. If you just unleash the American people, it's amazing what they have done and what they will continue to do. A lot of times the problem. Well, the problem is the federal government.
1: That's the last word right there. Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart, thank you so much for joining us. Folks, be sure to tune in again next week and download our podcast segment. We have a very full podcast segment for you this week. Breaking Battlegrounds back on the air one week from today. All right, Welcome to the podcast-only segment of Breaking Battlegrounds, uh, packed show today, but One thing Chuck and I always love is sports, and there's a lot going on in one particular town in this country. Las Vegas been in the news for a lot of sporting reasons. Viva the,
0: Viva Las Vegas. Viva
1: Viva Viva Everything Las Vegas. Well, well, Viva A's, right? Yeah. Viva A's. Ron, years ago. But well, we didn't actually introduce him. No, so, so we gotta go introduce ahead, yeah. Ron Futrell, okay. longtime journalist. He's worked at a number of local TV and radio stations throughout the western United States, and he's covered sports in Las Vegas since nineteen eighty-four. Uh, began his broadcasting career in the 80s in Salt Lake City. Uh, and from there, he's covered sports and news uh, pretty much all across the western United States. Ron, welcome to the program.
4: That's a long time. I've been here almost 40 years.
0: Yeah. It doesn't show, though. Oh. It doesn't show. That's amazing. I mean, we, that's, we don't
4: actually
1: admit to those things on this podcast, Ron. It was yesterday. <laughs> you arrived yesterday.
4: Well, uh, yeah, yesterday. I will I will say this, and it's... This, um sort of remarkable the first the first event i covered in las vegas was april 5th 1984 at the thomas and max center the utah jazz were playing a split schedule then because not a whole lot of fans were going to the salt palace and sam Battistone, the owner wanted to see if vegas could be a market for them and he was thinking about moving the team here and it just so happened that the night that kareeb abdul jabbar set the all-time nba scoring record should have been in salt lake at the salt palace but it was in las vegas at the new Thomas and Mack Center, and that, I was three days on the job, and I'm covering <laughs> that. And of course, it's it's been significant lately because LeBach broke that record. That's a record that stood for almost right. forty years, and, uh, and so that. And, and I think what it did also is what? If we don't start showing up to games, they were getting eight thousand a game there in right. salt lake at the time and fans reacted showed up and and the rest is history now the utah jazz have a permanent home there in, in salt lake and, and, but
0: and, in and beloved yeah. up there matter of fact i think the utah jazz yeah. is a good segue so the utah jazz are a unifying force in utah i, I no one would disagree yeah. democrat republican non-lds lds you and i talked a decade ago when we were working on a project together and we were talking about what a difference a professional sports team would mean to Las Vegas and Nevada. It would be a unifying force. Have you Has that come to fruition now that you have this great hockey team, you have the Raiders, and you have the A's possibly coming, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Do you see that in the community?
4: Yes, it, it certainly has with the Knights. I mean, you, you had it years ago. I covered UNLV basketball in the glory days, and it's been now 33 years since they won the national championship against Duke. A lot of people remember that UNLV-Duke matchups and the uh, the 1990 national championship team that won it all, and was I was at both of those Final Fours and covered them extensively. But um, but that that did unite Las Vegas. Certainly that, that everybody in town were Rebel fans, and out out of town either you hated or you loved the Rebels. But they always elicited a response, which I think the NCAA loved. And 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 it's the, the Golden Knights did that, especially the first year. Now we're talking six years ago when they went to the when they went to the um, the Stanley Cup final, lost to Washington at that time. But it was the same feeling here in town. I've always been jealous going to San Diego to Petco Park and seeing the Padres in the Gaslamp District, and I see a bunch of locals there hanging out, and it seems like everybody knows everybody else, and it's family and friends getting together and and hanging out and having a good time. And I've been jealous that Vegas didn't have that. Well, we do now with the Knights. We do with the Aviators, which is a, a ballpark minor league team for the A's up in Summerlin. And you can go there and you can hang out. And have a, It's a beautiful ballpark. I would suggest you go check it out at some point. But you, you now have it. As for the Raiders, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say you can get the same thing. but there's The NFL is much more um, tribal. Yes. In, in that you're a Raiders fan or you're not or you, you hate the Raiders or you don't, you know. So, um so it it doesn't do that in the same in the same sense because of the nature of the Raiders and the nature's do, nature of the NFL.
1: Do you think, Ron? I I, I kind of got two two questions, maybe related, sort of. One is I think the Knights really really benefited from that early run of success that establishes them in the community. Uh, you know, rather than for instance, a, an expansion team having a very long build up period, they're losing a ton of games for a decade. Um, but two with the Raiders. I really thought and I think this is the A's too, they should not keep their name. They should have adopted a Vegas specific name for that team and rebranded it.
4: Okay, no that was well they they have tried to rebrand it in one sense. The NFL didn't want the Raiders to have that um you know the, the areas with all with all the crazy black hole, the right. black hole area. Right. Um they just, they sort of disbanded that in the sense that the club still exists, but they put all those people in, and spread them out all over the stadium so they didn't have a specific black hole area. And I, I think the NFL, I know the NFL did not like the Raiders' bad boy image and branding and that they wanted to try to do away with that coming to Vegas. And I think it was best to do that, quite frankly. Uh, it, you know, they still kept part of it. You can't totally get rid of the ice cube feel of southern california at that time when the raiders adopted that 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 feel but it's yeah the, the image i don't know about changing the name i mean the raiders brand is still it i mean it's still Correct. the brand i don't i don't think the athletics change their name if they come here no because they they've moved four times this would be their fourth move and they've kept that for over 100 120 years had that I, I
1: agree, but I, I also don't feel like they've ever been fully embraced in their community the way some of the other teams. Like, the Giants are clearly a much more embraced team in that community than, than the A's were in theirs.
4: I think if they start winning, they will. I think that, and that does make a difference. And that's what happened with the Knights. Now, the Knights' success in that first season was phenomenal. It was unprecedented for an expansion team to go to the final in that first year. It was nuts. And it also, what it did, now it, yeah, it it bound the community to the team, but it also spoiled a lot of people in the community. (laughs) And that, oh no, they thought that this just is the way it happened. And I'm sitting, I grew up in LA, so I'm a Kings fan from way back in 1967. And it was until 2012 when the Kings won their first cup and then won again in 2014. Then they missed the playoffs for five years in a row. And, Ask a Blackhawks fan or a Detroit um, Red Wings fan about how easy it is to to make the playoffs and succeed. It ain't easy in the NHL. And I think the the fans here absolutely are spoiled. I guess it's a good thing. The alternative is have a miserable team. But they they gotta put that in perspective and go, you know what? It doesn't it it doesn't just happen automatically. But, no, it
0: doesn't happen automatically, but so I I have a friend um, who who knows the ownership of of the Knights, Golden Knights, and they were telling him before they played their first game that they said, look, we got two or three years become part of the consciousness of Vegas, or we're going to get killed when another team like the Raiders comes in. I mean, that they just knew they had to start out sprinting. So Las Vegas and Nevada have been lucky with their success, but but that has to be a good ownership group, right? What have they done different? I mean, they just—they seem to really be in the psyche of Las Vegas residents. Every time you go down there, I hear someone talk about the Golden Knights.
4: No, they are on the pulse of the community, and that's next. Nice. And it started out with—and you can't separate what happened. They call it the one October shooting, the, the, the shooting at Mandalay Bay, right? Into the into the country concert that happened um, on one October twenty seventeen. There was—I was at a an exhibition game that night. Um, on the strip when that took place the game had ended by then but we were all down there and covering it the team was down there and there were a lot of a lot of players were talking about going to the concert it was a pretty big deal um the, the route 91 festival and um decided fortunately against it but 58 now i believe there's another one there 59 people were killed in that shooting when a madman from the mandalay bay shot down on that on concert goers um, still, still, we haven't got an explanation for that, and that, that's still it's still weird to me. And now it's six years later, but that event, sort of the way the Knights handled that, the grief—they began their season. Um, uh, okay, like I said, an exhibition game was happening that night. Their regular season was was seven days later after that, and they held a memorial. And they did. Derek England gave a rousing. Who was a local? who had played here for the Wranglers in the East Coast Hockey League. So he knew Las Vegas, so he gave this speech before the game. And, you know, it just, it it, it helped, if that tragedy um, helped bring the community together in that sense, the, the Knights helped the community deal with that tragedy. And I think that that's something that will not be forgotten and shouldn't be.
1: Right. Yeah, so Ron, in terms of the A's coming in here now, what, is that going to happen? I think it appears to be a foregone conclusion to most people. Is it seen that way in the Las Vegas area?
4: It does seem that way. It's getting pretty political. Um, Monday Monday night, I had a crazy Monday night, so I'm watching, sitting there at home with my laptop, and I'm watching five hours of the Nevada legislature debate uh, Senate Bill 509, which is the bill that would create a special-use district on the Strip. Uh, not increased taxes overall to the community but just this one special area that if you go into it you're gonna pay a higher tax rate to be yeah, a lot to of a lot of
1: downtowns have that type of business district overlay that that has yeah. higher taxes on that area yeah
4: and it's it's not un, it's not unusual not uncommon so anyway i'm I'm watching the nights uh against uh Dallas at five o'clock and this session started at four o'clock and went for five hours so I'm trying to do double duty there at the same time sitting in the living room it was amazing. that Here's a political part of it. Uh, first of all, what a lot of people don't know, John Fisher's a pretty conservative dude um, and lives in the Bay Area. So there you go. For He's a unicorn up there. Uh, very rich. He's the owner of the A's. Uh, worth $2.2 $2 billion, give or take, depending on where the market is on any given day. And he, his father started the Gap clothing store. So that's where he made his money.
1: Okay. Okay. So he,
4: okay. Buys the Oakland A's in 2016, and, you know, when people, where I'm going with this is when when people gave their, they, they had public comment. And the public comment against Fisher was largely, well, first of all, Battle Born Progress, a big leftist group in Nevada, was the first to go up there and say, uh, and oppose it, and say, we don't want a billionaire. And they, everybody used the word billionaire as a pejorative. And that's, to me, a little frightening. Well, yeah, who, but, else, I uh, mean, who
0: else owns these teams, right? But continue.
4: Yeah. A billionaire. We don't want to give a billionaire our tax dollars. Well, then, and my answer is always, then then don't go to the games. <laughs> don't go to that area where the Tropicana Hotel currently is, where the stadium is planned on being built. I look at it from the other point of view, is that here's a guy that's worth 2.2 Bs and wants to put 1.1 into a property on the Las Vegas Strip, and it's not going to raise taxes in the general public. Joe Lombardo, who is the current governor of Nevada, a Republican, has said he wouldn't do it if it raised taxes on the public, which this is not.
1: And and one of the things I think, I I really love the idea of having this stadium right there on the Strip, because I think one of the things that Vegas struggles with the most is finding things for people to do who don't want to be spending all their time in the casinos, right? Like. It's you know, other than you can go play golf during the day. There's some things, but you need more entertainment that's not inside a casino.
4: Oh no, and that's it's another thing that would help unite unite the community. One thing John Fisher said that was interesting. He's up in Carson City. He and Dave Cavill, the, the team president, are up there uh, right now lobbying lobbying some of the legislators to try to get this thing passed. And uh, there's no word on when they're going to vote on it. But the session does end June fifth so they got till Monday at midnight to be able to make something happen or they'd have to do a special session back to your point there Sam is that he he said he said that he's considering Fisher did some 4 pm starts in Las Vegas for games for that very reason um, and also the casinos would love that because they don't like losing people at night right they don't mind people going golfing during the day right but they don't like pulling people out of casinos at night because that's their heavy gambling time and you've got uh, the, the mgm is the big winner in this one certainly if it happens because you've got um seven mgm casinos within walking distance parking distance of the stadium that's going to take advantage of that Allegiant stadium is the same thing it's right there in that same area off the strip but close to it where you've got these those mgm properties can all take advantage Of being there.
0: That's fantastic. We're with Ron Futrell. He is a sports journalist out of Vegas, been there for decades. Um, Ron, um, by the way, does Billy Bean still own part of the A's?
4: Yes. Oh, yeah. He still does. He still is. I I interviewed him probably a season ago, probably last season. He was here in Vegas because the AAA affiliate for the A's is in Las Vegas. They play in Summerlin.
0: So as we wrap up here, this this portion of our of our show, I, I want to ask you this question. You've interviewed a lot of athletes, from Andre Agassi to Mike Tyson to Greg Maddox. Um, who has been your favorite and why? I mean, what's been the most interesting interview?
4: I'm going to go back to Marvin Hagler. I'm going to go way back. I you just are going love way back. That's that's he, he was my favorite boxer. He was left-handed, so am I, so that I had an affinity there. Mike Tyson covering his career from start to finish was, was crazy. He once got mad at me during an interview, called me a smart aleck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which
1: which at that time in particular, you did not want to get on Mike Tyson's bad side in no, any situation no. at all.
4: <laughs> we're good friends. We were good friends then, I thought. We are now. We've touched base quite a few times. And uh, and I've done an interview with him, uh, did one a little while ago with him, about his pot farms in California. Wow. And it's, it certainly has mellowed him out quite a bit. But he, it, it was crazy. It was never, it was never a dull moment with Tyson, and you always had a mega fight, and you always had you know just fantastic events, and it, it was fun to sort of be there when he first came to Vegas and covered his career here from start to finish, because it was legendary. But you know, it was also covering those those four guys in the middleweight and, and lightweight division—the Hagler, Hearns, Leonard, Duran—the big events. I fell in love with Vegas when I got here and, and started covering those big events. Well, and, and for, even though, yeah.
1: For people who are younger, they, do, they probably don't realize that in the eighties and through the early nineties, boxing in Vegas were synonymous around the world. And boxing was just massive it was, around the world.
0: The, back in that time, people's calendars were circled for those fights. I mean, the, um, things were shut down to watch those boxes. No, no, people the, those got the pay-per-view and everything. Yeah. Yeah.
4: That was before the Fertittas bought the UFC and, Changed it and turned it into what it is today is a monster. Um, they, they then sold it for four billion four billion dollars, and the, the the owners of Station Casinos here in Vegas. Well, let
0: me, uh, let me let me ask you that question though, real quick. So you have the UFC now, and you have boxing. What were the ratings for those big boxing matches then versus the UFC now?
4: Oh, oh the boxing was much boxing was much bigger.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, how many um, millions? How many there, millions is just no comparison?
4: Question. I, I, I don't know the numbers. I mean, you'd have to then you have to put how many people were. Um, I, I remember it, like offhand someone higher. saying
1: like a third of the country tuned in to one of Tyson's fights at one point.
4: Oh, it it would not be surprising. Even though they only lasted a minute or two, <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. most cases, in most cases they were pretty short. I, I remember going to the ear bite fight. It was in uh, June, the Holyfield, yeah, Holyfield, the second their second fight, and that was when he bit his bit his ear twice in that fight. and Second time took a chunk out of it, and it was the only pay per view I've ever bought in my life. And I was at the fight, and the reason was my wife wanted no my wife who doesn't care much about sports. She wanted to see it, and she had some friends over to the house. And so she, she bought the pay-per-view, and it only lasted less than three rounds before Mills Lane stopped it because of the second ear bite. Anyway, and, and Holyfield won. But it was, it was interesting because my wife was complaining, and other people were going, wait a second. It's, um, and there was even a lawsuit against Tyson at the time because the fight was so short. Right. I said, "Wait a second. That's this is one of the greatest sporting events of all time." I watched the tape of it. I taped it at home on an old VHS, <laughs> and, and I watched it ten times. Later, I said, "Did we get our money's worth?" You bet we got our money's worth. That's fifty bucks, very well spent, even in ninety seven dollars. I haven't bought a pay per view since, and I and I that was the only one I've ever bought was well, that one, and oh it was well gosh. worth it.
0: Well, so just as a comparison, I looked it up the the highest UFC rating with a combined audience was 1.8 million. Okay, Floyd Mayweather in 2017 had 4.3 million pay per view purchases.
4: That, that was Floyd against against Connor, uh, against
0: Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, just think about it.
1: Well, worldwide, the audience for boxing is, it's is still there, still there to at least some degree, but but it's nowhere near what it was. No. I mean, it was enormous. No. Well,
4: I miss it. I miss boxing. I and do I'll too. Say that. And it's, 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 it, okay, we got Tyson Fury back, and he's sort of fun to, interesting to listen to. The, the, the Gypsy. Yeah. Um, King, I I just found it. Called. I
1: find it far more interesting to watch than MMA fights.
4: Well,
0: it's compelling, and there's always a good story behind it.
4: Yeah, I, I'll put it this way: my kids, my sons because they've grown up here in Las Vegas and they I took them to UFC fights early on, they love the UFC because of, because they were raised here on it. And it's a local sport with, with a, gets a lot of attention here. Um, where I'm, I'm the old guy and I'm going box, give me boxing any day, a good boxing match, nothing beats it. And it's, they're few and far between when they, when they happen, but they do happen. I mean, I can still remember Hagler-Hearns they, they, like it was they happen, they
1: happen, and they're fantastic when they do. Ron, I apologize. We're, we're running out of time on the podcast here. We really appreciate having you on and look forward to bringing you back to talk a little more
4: sports in the near future. Anytime. we got some hockey in town this weekend. should be fun.
0: Thanks, Ron. <laughs> appreciate it, buddy. Have a good Thanks, weekend. Guys. Thanks. Well, Sam, thank you. And you had a great interview this week.
1: Yeah, we had it. We had a great interview here in the first half of the program. And, folks, we decided to continue it um, because in talking to Congressman Dunn, something actually came up at the after the program when we were talking off air that I wanted to put on air. So we we kept going. We did a little more for the podcast. Please stay tuned for that um, because it's really interesting. He's got. He had some information, Chuck, about China and what they're doing in the Indo-Pacific that I was totally aware of, unaware of. And you and I are follow this kind of stuff as closely as almost anybody does. Um, you rarely get that kind of new, brand new information about something of critical strategic importance happening in the world right now. Um, but you're going to hear it if you stay tuned right at this moment on Breaking Battlegrounds. And then, folks, obviously, we're back on the air next week. So please join us for that. And as always, be sure to download and share this podcast with your friends. Keep us on the air. Keep us coming into your inbox.
0: Have a great
4: weekend.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast only portion of Breaking Battlegrounds. When we went off the air earlier with Congressman Dunn, uh, he mentioned that he is on a committee I didn't even realize he was on and that there's some things going on with China right now that I, folks, I think I'm a pretty informed person. I read a ton. I pay attention to news from around the globe. I did not realize this was happening. So we're back with Congressman Dunn for this podcast segment. Um. Uh, Congressman, first, what what is the committee you're on, and then tell folks what you were just telling me about the Indo-Pacific. So, uh, the the committee is the uh,
2: Select China Committee, and it's uh, so it's really is a newly formed committee, specifically bipartisan. Uh, of uh, To look into China, by the way, this is also a committee where we find the Democrats and the Republicans are marching in lockstep. So this is a committee that typically has 100% consensus on what we think the problems are and where we need to go with those. And we are all working to uncover the problems and share them with each other uh, in real time. Uh, my most recent project is indeed working on the island nations in the Indo-Pacific, because those form the stepping stones, the corridor, if you will, to the, uh, to the far well, western Pacific, China's border, Taiwan, Japan, South Korea, Philippines, and of course, all of Southeast Asia. Uh, and and that's, they're also the corridor to Australia and New Zealand. So, and, and, and if, allies, that,
1: if that corridor is weaponized against us, yeah, it is. That's, that is it an is, enormous risk. It's largely
2: weaponized already. Although there are some corridors through there which are closing rapidly. So the martial, the federated compact states, the freely associated compact states that they they gave up all of their defense to us, and they freely associate with America. By the way, also serve in our military at a higher rate capita than any other population in America, uh, they have fully 1% of everybody on the island enlisted in the military. So these are really good people They really li- love America, but their governments have been corrupted by the Chinese, the money. They're going in, they're buying real estate, they're buying politicians, they're buying uh, newspapers and news outlets out there. And, and they have largely... Uh, replaced us in the economy of these island nations, and uh, so this is a really dangerous thing. We all remember J- Douglas MacArthur's island hopping campaign. That he wasn't doing that because he was touring the South Pacific. That was the only way to get to Japan, and it's also the only way to get to China. You know, we it, can't fight a air war from Hawaii to China. That's just way too far away.
1: Yeah, if if you can't climb that ladder. There is no getting out of fire on the roof of that house, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You need to
2: have, you need to have friends across the Pacific, and they are isolating. They have built. China has almost completed what we like to call the Greater Wall of China, uh, because it's even bigger now. This stretches across the entire Central and South
1: Pacific. This is an area that's two or three times the size of the United States. Well, and it's it's not just the military issues, but then there's the trade issues, right? That that come yeah. with all of this. Well, that's what they care about. They love their economies and
2: uh, and we have ignored them, and, frankly, let their economies sort of slide towards welfare states. And uh, we need we need to be uh, better allies, honestly, to the uh, Pacific Island nations. They love Americans, but they're not really seeing a lot of Americans. What
1: they're seeing is a lot of Chinese. Yeah, a few months back we had the member from Guam uh on the program with us and he was talking a little bit about it. I you know, I I knew nothing about their economy or tourism and the opportunities for folks to go over there, be able to enjoy visiting and and you know, working with them and they're in doing business with them. But that that's an enormous opportunity. We're missing it is by the way,
2: it's a beautiful place to visit. i I was stationed in the Pacific Theater when I was in the army and um my work took me uh, throughout the Pacific Rim, and I had a chance to visit a lot of these nations in my work. So I'm, we're talking about visiting them and in, in, uh, as a, you know, doing medical evacuations and things <laughs> like that. But, uh, but they were, you know, they were remarkable. I, I,
1: I imagine Good. they were
2: eager to see you at that time. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have much touring but I, I i will say nothing but good about the people out there they're wonderful to work with and uh true friends of america if we just give them a chance
1: it, i think i think this is a really critical discussion that isn't coming up enough in public that we're not talking about public all of our up. various allies in that region this is my new my new homework project <laughs> Well, I'm glad you brought it to us because, like I said earlier, I, I had no idea this was going on, and I do consider myself pretty well informed.
2: Um, yeah, it's amazing. We are, America walks around with a blind spot in the Pacific. We we think it ends in Hawaii and starts again in uh, Taiwan. It's 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 a little a little. If,
1: if if there's no surfboards or semiconductors, who cares, right? yeah that's right, so you can you, they're well all they have really is
2: fish right and uh, but you know but they're they're very geo geopolitically geostrategically very 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 important locations and if well, you have to remember each nation has its own exclusive economic zone, and if china controls that government, they control the exclusive economic zone too, and they interlock all the way across the pacific.
1: Well, and one of the one of the issues there, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm I'm kind of just connecting dots on my own here, but one of the issues there is that China, when they get into various territorial waters, has a tendency to heavily overfish those waters. Oh yeah, absolutely. They 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 have no regard whatsoever for fishing loss. And so so that being such a big part of the economy and the diet of all these these countries. If China gets in there and does that, the de- the chance that they all end up totally dependent on China goes up dramatically, right?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, not only does it hurt them in terms of what they eat, it hurts their economy, their ability to export, and, and frankly, ruins the environment as well. And, and, uh, and we saw what the Chinese did around the Spratly Islands. They chased out the Philippines, which really owned those islands, and then they built them into, you know, fortresses they're all, all armed with uh, anti-ship missiles uh, surface to air missiles they've literally fortified parts of the philippines this is china uh against us
1: now i i've heard very recently there's a new deal that's been put together with the philippines that there's some pushback coming there we're we're kind of strengthening our ties with them can you tell us what's going on with that yeah so they got they changed governments
2: and uh the uh, uh, ironically the new president is the son of Ferdinand Marcos uh <laughs> who we all have mixed you know memories about but um I I, uh, I
1: just remember the photos of a melda shoe collection
2: but he's pro-american he he is and he's anti-china he knows the chinese are taking over his you know pieces his country piece by piece and he knows that there are malign interests you know the chinese don't come anywhere and make it better no, they, they no. may come and bring some money for the politicians, but they don't make the country better.
1: Well, and and realistically, with their Belt and Road program, they they're creating surf nations using right. that program.
2: It, it's it's old fashioned colonialism and imperialism.
1: But it's just being done with dollars instead of sailing ships, essentially. Yeah, yeah that's right. So
2: you could fight a war where you don't always have to be shooting to have a war. You know, you can have an economic war
1: too. Yeah, and clearly we are there. Congressman, I want to thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate you sticking around for this, this segment. Um, I, I know it was instructive for me, and so I hope our viewers will appreciate it also.
2: Well, stay tuned. I'm going to be digging into this a little more in the, in the near future, and I hope to have a lot more to say. And I'll be working with your friend from Guam and also the representative from American
1: Samoa. Fantastic. And and please stay in touch with us as, as you go forward on that um, we would love to to bring you on regularly to be able to get updates and and learn more about it, because uh, this is exactly why Chuck and I do this program is for moments like this, when we can learn something or our listeners and viewers can learn something. Um, so thank you so much. I really, really appreciate today's discussion. I promise to do it. Thanks so much, Sam. Fantastic. Folks, Breaking Battlegrounds will be back on the air again next week. Be sure to tune in and download all of our podcasts. You can find them wherever podcasts are found or go to Breaking breakingbattlegrounds.vote. All the past episodes are up there. And again, thank you to Congressman Dunn. We very much appreciate his time today and uh, we, Breaking Battlegrounds back next week.
0: The 2022 political field was intense. So don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for a political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now.